This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu there that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is that you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the pot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood and check out my interview with Meg from last season of the podcast to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. When I think about being an entrepreneur, I had no idea when I was dreaming about what this life could be like, that the hardest thing would be is trusting myself. And it wouldn't really be me versus the competition. It would be me versus me. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Chris Guillaume, founder of Merchant Method, a boutique consulting agency specializing in teaching independent retailers and manufacturers the retail intelligence they need to navigate strategic growth. With over 19 years of experience in retailing and manufacturing and six years as an entrepreneur, Chris knows a few things about the unique self-care challenges faced by people on the retail sales floor all day long. She also has a few ups and downs in her own entrepreneurial and self-care journeys, and I wanted to hear about them all. We talked about how different kinds of retail environments encourage different levels of self-care and which types of retailers are better at it, how being on the sales floor can actually be an exercise in connection and mindfulness, the wisdom of being part of the OK Club as an entrepreneur and as a human, and Chris's personal story of taking a long break from her business, why it was scary, and how she finally came back stronger than ever. Enjoy the interview. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I like, yeah. And we obviously had lots of chatter before we started recording and there's some good stuff came up in there. So I'm excited to dig in. Let's start with the self-care in the retail space, because I think that that's an interesting conversation. And, and you know, given that that's sort of your area of focus, I would love to hear what unique self-care challenges you see come up for retailers. I will always remember the horrific story I heard at a place I worked. Didn't know the woman. I kind of feel like it's folklore. But the (laughs) the story goes that she was an excellent seller, was always on the sales floor, and then got a UTI Mm. because she never left to go pee. And I know that is true for many places, including in office spaces. But I will always remember that as a reason to provide really good training and this mix of personal and professional approach to work when it comes to working Mm -hmm. with retailers. You know, what's so interesting is 
that I've worked with so many brands and the one thing that feels common when it comes to retail spaces that are good at promoting employee self-care is the products they sell. Hmm. What do you mean? Uh, If someone is selling specifically personal care products, Mm -hmm. lotions, creams, lifestyle types of things, bubble baths, it could be across any spectrum of personal care. Self-care is part and parcel of that experience. Yeah. Or if someone is selling inspiration, inspirational gifting, books, that type of product, they're more likely to promote self-care. But other than that, it can be really lacking. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, so maybe the message there is like, if you're going to work in retail, work for one of those places. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. So what happens in the other spaces? Like, what do you see as far as the employers go? Like, where's the, what's the missing link there as far as how they approach self-care for their employees? Is that a happy employee is a good seller and a happy employee produces results. I think that's the missing link. And if I were to dissect it even further, it would be delineating the difference between happy and motivation. Not everyone is motivated by numbers and by money, even though money makes you know, can make the world go round. Um, (laughs) Happiness also makes the world go round. And for employers to really understand what motivates the core or what they want to be the carrot at the end of the stick. Yeah. And specifically for small businesses, put happiness at the end of the stick. That is a renewable resource. Mm. And it can be a defining factor for a small retail business is to motivate through satisfaction first. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love happiness as a renewable resource. That's such a great, that's such a great soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real, like, and so, so then how do you like, in terms of the, the clients that you've worked with, you know, does that conversation even come up? All the time. <laughs> but does it come up with just the employees or with the employers or both? Or It comes up with the employers when anyone has to hire. Mm. or look at annual salary increases. Anytime it comes to payroll, this question comes up, um, particularly in a retail space. What, what I love about retail is that you can start in the industry part-time in high school and you can work your way up to be an executive at a large organization. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few industries where you can do that. Because so much of what you can gain, you can gain on the job and it doesn't require a certificate or additional training. You can get it done or start your own business. And what is a drawing factor to the industry is the thing around balancing art and science about connecting with people and about having this immediate satisfaction that can only come from, for this type of person who wants to work in the industry, I'm speaking with you face-to-face. I'm listening to you. I'm having a two-way conversation. I think you might like this thing. Do you like it? Let me send you home with it. I'll take your money, (laughs) right? Yeah, you can't get more personal than that, right? Like you can't, and and it just, it like just highlights, like if that employee that's having that conversation with with a customer is like, 
distracted or like falling asleep or has to pee or whatever, like that's going to absolutely affect results. And it requires a high level of emotional intelligence. Yes. And um, And you need sleep for that. You need sleep for that. You (laughs) You have to be alert and you have to be a learner. And if there are other things blocking you from the ability to sleep and be a learner, you're not going to be really good in the industry. Yeah. And it's true of everything, right? I mean, it's sort of like, (laughs) it's sort of like what we were talking about before we started recording, like just, you know, what happens with self-care in especially stressful times. And I was sharing with you that I've had kind of a rough week and, you know, just paying attention to sort of what I have to do to, uh, maintain even just a base level of performance during a a particularly stressful time. And it just occurs to me that like retail is just always, I mean, it's always a particularly stressful time, right? I mean, just being, (laughs) so then, so that begs the question, like for me, like, it's like, you know, I've been in this, you know, sort of few days week that I've been having a, you know, sort of some personal drama, like paying attention to sleep has been sort of the primary thing. So I guess the question that, I, that I'm that i getting to here is like, what would you say to someone who's coming into the retail space or who's been in it for some time and is really struggling with figuring this out? Like, what are the top things that you would tell them to look after in order for them to be able to show up? I think for better or for worse, you have permission, even if it's just my permission to leave your worries at the door. Mm. And whether you're running away or living in a fantasy or truly letting yourself get energized through the interactions with someone else, you get to have this moment to recharge and to truly leave it at the door. And if you can think through retail as a pause button, if you're on the selling floor, if you can think through it as a pause button and truly treat it as an opportunity or an exercise in emotional care, you can actually go pretty far. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, because it draws you, so, you know, it, it pulls you into the present moment. It, it's something that's one of the things that I actually love about coaching because no matter what's going on with me on a personal level, when I'm coaching someone, I'm in it with them and right. it forces me into the present moment in a way that's really quite relieving actually. <laughs> And I imagine retail, I mean, I, I worked retail, you know, when I was younger, but I haven't done it since. So I imagine retail can be, if you allow it to be, it can be a similar experience. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And going back to your earlier question about small businesses and motivating through happiness, mm-hmm. there's so much on that sales floor that can fill you. It's exhausting. You put a lot of miles on your, you know, step counter. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh it's demanding. You're carrying a lot of things. You sweat. The time is not yours always, but it can be gratifying if you know how to look for it, mm. and if you motivate your employees to look for the simple gratifications of the experience. Yeah, and you would be surprised how many people want that instead of the extra ten dollars an hour. Yeah. Totally. So what are those opportunities? Can you rattle off a few that you point people to as far as opportunities to sort of boost energy and be present and and all that stuff on the retail floor? I think the first thing is there is so much chasing in our personal environments. Chase the dream, chase the time off, chasing. Mm. And there isn't a lot of room or space or even invitations to do things that 
provide an immediate result. Right. We're taught that, you know, good things don't come easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's something really gratifying about fixing a display, putting together something that looks beautiful, creating something beautiful, putting things just in the right order. That is all satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always look at like, like employees, like at clothing stores, like folding the sweaters or whatever into this perfect little square. I'm like, oh, that looks lovely. <laughs> And, you know, it, it can either be boring or it could be a cathartic release. Yes, like a meditation almost. Right. Moving meditations, satisfaction, producing something quickly, uh, feeling like you've had some kind of accomplishment at the end of the day. So even for someone who likes a to-do list or a checklist, that can also be gratifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that are introverted, selling is awesome. Because it is rarely a one-to-many selling situation. Mm-hmm. It's typically a one-to-one situation, even though there are you accumulate a lot of those one-to-one situations, you are invited to connect very personally. And often the reason why customers come back is because of you. Yeah, that would have never sort of occurred to me because yeah, I would think as an introvert, you know, it, it's, it could be very draining. But you're right. It's the interactions are more often one-to-one. And I think a piece where selling and being on a retail sales floor allows you to develop professionally is finding your voice. Truly, Mm -hmm. right? You're representing a brand. How do you do that in a way where you don't feel fake? (laughs) Where you can connect. That's the challenge. And so for people who don't like things like traditional business networking, or don't want to take a presentation class, this is another space to develop your people skills in a way that can be low risk because at the end of the day, you can hide behind something else. You can hide behind branded words or scripts, uh, but it's been a great way that I've developed my EQ. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. Like I I just, I've known you for a few years, but we've never really talked about this side of the retail experience. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me. So here's my next question. And I'm thinking about, you know, small business owners that you work with and you being a small business owner and me being a small business owner. And we were chatting before we started recording about (laughs) other small business owners and how they were doing and being part of the OK Club. (laughs) And I love that. And just because I think it all ties into what we're talking about. Like, what does that mean to you? When you said that to me, you know, that we were all part of the OK Club, what did, what did you mean? I think being part of the OK Club is being a human person. Mm. But the fallacy around retail or why people may not like retail is, let's say, before the store opens, before the doors open, you might have this opening meeting. You get all the information that you need to know. Everyone's real kind of tired, maybe kind of cranky because maybe they didn't sleep well (laughs) or they didn't get their breakfast in the morning. But then as soon as there's those doors open, it's like a show and you turn it up and you play a role. And I used to joke about that all the time as if I was writing a comedy satire. (laughs) All right, everyone, wait there. But being part of the OK Club is being real, and that's what people want. If you were to satirize being retail in the 90s, it is the Gap Girl. Mm-hmm. Hi, welcome in. Thanks for coming. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, old Navy, like with the headset right. on. Yes. 
And there is a place and a space for that. But being part of the OK Club is being a human interacting with another human and not pretending to play a role or follow a scripted performance or even a scripted journey. Like, it's all right. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So say more about that. What does that look like for as an entrepreneur, small business owner? Like, I guess what are the implications of, of sort of being part of the okay club and what does that mean for how you, how you show up to other business owners, how you show up to clients? Because I think there's like this fine line, right? So you, you do, you want to be, you want to be on and you want to be professional and yet at the same time you want to be real. So how do you, (laughs) so how do you walk that line? Do you think? How do you personally walk that line? How do I personally walk that line? Well, I, the other piece of this is like most people in retail, I'm an introvert and I have a high level of anxiety. And when I think about being part of the OK Club and I think about being an entrepreneur, I had no idea when I was dreaming about what this life could be like, that the hardest thing would be is trusting myself Mm. and that it would always be, it wouldn't really be me versus the competition. It would be me versus me. Oh my gosh. Yes. And when I think through connecting with other business, you know, other businesses, feeling like I can say, yeah, I'm okay. Or yeah, I turned in work that is all right. It's a passable grade and I stand by it (laughs) and I would do it again, given the circumstances is this idea that I trust myself and I trust what I have to say. Mm. And it requires a lot of filtering. I think in the beginning, I wanted to do what I've always done, which is be a good student. And so I was taking a lot in and absorbing a lot, but I had not enough focus to be able to filter through it really well. And so I think you go through this natural phase of mentally beating yourself up and mentally grinding to race to a finish line that doesn't actually exist. It's almost like a perfect website. That shit does not exist. <laughs> no, in fact, I would tear my website down today if I had something to replace it with. And as soon as you hit publish on a new site, you are ready to do it all over again. <laughs> yes. That, that there's this piece of representing yourself as okay is feeling confident enough to trust yourself and what that means and, and not do it from a place of beating yourself up. Yeah. You're so wise, Chris. I mean, oh my God. I'm, not, I'm not saying that to be like blow smoke, like for real. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's just, um, yeah, this path is not easy. And, and, and I've talked, you know, I've talked to other guests about that and, and who are also entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I mean, I think there is a, a pressure to make it all look like everything's rosy all the time. And it's not. And so I, that's why I especially love the OK Club thing because I, because I think that it just, it takes that perfection pressure off, I guess. And also, and, and I think in particular, you know, just talking about what you're saying, like trying to get good grades and, you know, like I think people who are drawn to this life are also people who used to strive for getting good grades and, and getting good marks in all parts of their life. And so we're prone to that kind of pretending like everything's great. <laughs> Right. Instead of just right. okay. Entre- entrepreneurs are entrepreneurial in every aspect of their lives. And the antithesis of 
the okay club and achieving okay level status is the showing up club, right? Which is like, I show up for things. I show up for myself. I show up for other people. I'm everywhere. I'm all things. Right. (laughs) That is so hard to break away from. And so I think part of the challenge, the real challenge that the retail entrepreneurs I work with have is taking a break or taking a vacation and a real one. Not the kind that is Instagram worthy, follow me. I've done those things. (laughs) They're fabulously beautiful to look at on my camera roll, but the real ones where you just don't have time to pull out your camera because you are doing better, more fulfilling things. Mm -hmm. It's hard to take those because it's hard to trust that the business will go on without you because you set it up to, or to trust that you're going to even want it when you get back. You've created a beast (laughs) and you're looking at it saying, if I have relief, will I want to put that outfit back on? Whatever that outfit is. Or will I even have enough motivation because I've been slogging away for so long? And letting yourself take a break is truly an act of trust that you'll come back to it because it was important enough in the beginning. Mm. And sometimes it could be a really long time. It took me like six or eight months to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about that. Yeah. So what, what was going on for you? Like was, and when was this and what was going on and um, how did you circle back? It started in March, 2017. <laughs> okay. I was on a creative retreat slash residency program. I was, we were in the desert and I like the metaphor of the desert because there is nothing. And all you're left with is your thoughts and your problems. I was working a lot and I kept saying over and over again, I need a break. And I must have manifested that shit because (laughs) as soon as I came back, none of my clients renewed. I couldn't get programs launched. No one was listening to what I had to say. And then it was crickets. Then spring turns into summer. My husband and I were having very long conversations around if we should move. And that process really takes a full year. And I was uninspired. I was exhausted. I made intentional choices. The vote for my family versus voting for business development. Because I couldn't even be present to do business development all of these meetings, all of these vendors with large timeframe windows, I couldn't even commit to meetings. And I was really worried. 2017 was coming to a close. And on December 23rd, from March to the very end of December, I had this jolt of inspiration and I could not put my tools down. And I started creating And it took that long. I was really worried. I felt defeated. I'd spent a ton of money that summer trying to solve the problem with money, um, thinking, oh, all I need to do is achieve escape velocity and leave my problems behind and rocket ship to outer space. (laughs) (laughs) That did not work. And I really needed that break because I came back feeling creatively inspired. And I, I knew it would come back. I was just starting um, to falter a little bit. Like, but will it really? And that's how you know you're committed and you, can't, you, just, you just can't leave. <laughs> yeah. 
Hi there, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to invite you to my monthly online workshop series. It's designed to help you get out of your own way and make being healthy feel easy and intuitive instead of stressful and overwhelming. And it's totally free. So consider this your personal invitation to join in. Up next on Friday, October 26th is Keep Calm and Eat On, Six Steps to Enjoy the Holidays Without Food Stress or Guilt. It's one of my favorite workshops, and this is the first time I've offered it in a couple of years, just in time for the beginning of sugar season with Halloween. Visit laradolch.com slash workshops to save your spot for this and future workshops. That's laradolch.com slash workshops. Yeah. What did you do during that time in terms of showing up for yourself, which was a phrase you used earlier, but what did you, how did you show up for yourself during that time that you think allowed you to, to get back to this place of creativity? I had so many lunches with girlfriends. I walked in my neighborhood. I spent a lot of time with my kids. I had lots of conversations with my husband, both in person, but also through, um, Slack. <laughs> we slack each other. I went in the water a lot and I passed my time. I mean, I was so present because I had nowhere else to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I think that somehow the universe had my back because I needed to be present for all of the things that were happening for me and my family. And if I had been dually focused or focused more on my business, the family situation would have imploded. Mm-hmm. What have you carried through with you now? Like now that you're back focused on business and things are moving, what sort of self-care lessons have you carried forward with you from that time? I need so much space and not square footage. <laughs> <laughs> I need a lot of space around the activities that I do. So I need time before, I need time after. Um, I need a nest where I feel like I can fly back to and it's mine, all, all mine and no one else's. I didn't realize how badly I need that. I used to think that I could be a nomad and travel from place to place. And I did that for, you know, almost a year and I cannot do that. Yeah. Um, I, I like to feel settled. I like to be able to close my eyes and know where everything is. And I didn't know that about myself. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing I carried forward is that I thrive best when I have control over my time. And sure, like everyone can say that. Some people flourish with structure. I f- and I do have structure, even though I like a lot of flexibility. There's structure in there. Um, but I, I think the weekend is not a real concept in my life. Like it's just when I have time that I'm working and when I have time with my family and then when I have time by myself shifts, it doesn't matter what the day of the week is. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just put it where it really works for me. Mm-hmm. I love that because it it makes me think about that's sort of like the perfect example of, you know, what I would call work-life integration, right? Because, you know, I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't think it exists. I talk about this a lot in... Um, you know, in a, in a talk that actually that I'm giving down in Portland this weekend. And uh, that's, that's exactly what work-life integration looks like to me is exactly what you described, like sort of making it all work together in a more fluid sort of way. Right. And sometimes it's on, like I know, and I've hindsighted that next year from August week two to September week two, I take my foot off the pedal of 
my business. And then I coast through the back to school period and the transition. It takes us about four weeks. But I also know that the last week of December, my foot is on the gas for my business. And that's the time when everyone wants to be together to enjoy the holidays. So I know this well enough about myself that I need to go away early in December, take care of all of that so I can be fully present during mm-hmm. the holidays. Yeah. And just understanding those rhythms. It's, it sounds like that's part of that gift of that break for you was starting to tune into what those rhythms are for you. So what do you struggle with? when it comes to prioritizing yourself these days. Girl. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, what don't I struggle with? Let's talk. I was having a conversation with my husband a few weeks ago about how I focus so much on my mental self-care mm-hmm. and my emotional self-care. Maybe because I more recently awakened to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a woman, there was none of that in my childhood years and my teen years and probably really not in my college years. <laughs> I'm a late emotional bloomer. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I, yeah, I totally feel the same way. And maybe because I really enjoy retail and I really enjoy connecting with people. I like developing my EQ. I'm an entrepreneur. I spend a lot of time in thought exercise and managing that piece to the self-care so much so that when it comes to my physical self-care, I don't, I only want to do it from a healthy mental place Mm. because I've had what looks like and sounds like, and may mathematically be good, great physical self-care. But when I picked it up to inspect it, I was like, oh, I actually hated myself during this time Mm. and I don't want to do that. And so that for me is the challenge is approaching the aspects of physical care in a way that my mental self-care would respect. (laughs) So can you give me an example of what that looks like? Yeah. For me, when it's come to physical self-care, I have very little moderation, almost no moderation. I do it because I need to control something in my, because everything else in my life is, cannot be tamed. And then so I micromanage it. I like count in, count out. I get up early. Um, I'm regimented and rigorous. And for other people, that's a dreamy formula. But for me, I do it as a way to avoid other more pressing things in my life. Mm. And I know that about myself. Um, so that's, that is truly my biggest challenge is like, how do I find, how do I have my, you know, come to Jesus moment when it comes to what is going to really be the intrinsic motivator. Yeah, truly. So that my uh, mental space can respect it. So what I'm hearing is it's like an all or nothing game for you with the physical self-care. Is that right? Is that what I heard? Yes. Yes. It is all or nothing. And I might truly try to dive into why that is. Some of the mental stuff, I figured it out. (laughs) And this whole idea of trust, right? We're I was raised with second-guessing myself. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you fold your laundry? Yep. Are you sure? (laughs) You know when your parent knows you didn't fold your laundry and you didn't brush your teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to turn in this book report 
Did you read it? And all throughout my life, I was always second guessed. Turn in your best work. Is this your best work? I don't, I want to say nothing less than that. Mm-hmm. And so it's take it or, or um, I can thrive in structure if I'm down with that structure or so then the other thing was I've always had structure and you just follow the rules. Right. So it's taken a lot of time for me to trust myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I see as you've like really well reflected back to me is when it comes to the physical self care, I'm, I bring old habits with me. Yeah. So mama's mama needs to break that down. <laughs> Well, and I got to tell you something. It's so interesting because the all or nothing thing is 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 probably the number one, I call it unconscious story that I see women tell themselves that keeps them from even taking the first step towards those kinds of self-care choices. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, it is, you're not alone. But the other thing I want to reflect back to you is that it seems to me that you've actually already cultivated the skills to figure that out because you've done it in this, these other parts of your, your self-care ecosystem, if you will. Like, I guess, you know, as you said, in the mental space, right? So like you've already figured out how to tune in and figure out what works. And you've also, it sounds like, given yourself some grace in terms of um, the perfectionism. Like you don't necessarily expect that it's all going to be perfect. So it seems like you already are halfway there. It's just a matter of applying that lack of perfectionism to the physical space. Cause I think that the all or nothing thing I see goes along with perfectionism, right? It's like, am I doing it right? And if I'm not doing it right, then I'm just not going to do it at all. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? Oh no. I love, I love all the things that you're saying. Like it's fine to leave a workout in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fine to just do five or 10 minutes. I mean, I did like this morning I was, you know, again, because like emotional, like personal drama happening in the background, I'm sort of like, you know, running a little behind. And I only had like, I think I did like 15 minutes of yoga or something where I would have preferred, you know, at least 30 minutes or whatever. And that's just, you know, it's just going to have to be it. And I, that's fine, you know, but I think, but it does take time to get to that space where you, um, especially when you, as you said, were raised in an environment where, you know, you're expected to get high marks and, you know, and do it all perfectly. And what's so interesting is uh, my husband, JD, my husband and I were talking about this whole idea of results. You know, is it, Mm -hmm. are we outcome focused? Are we process focused? What are the results we're looking for? Do we need results? Can we just Mm -hmm. do it to do it? That's a great question. So that's a great question. And I I think, well, and it, and it all goes back to, yeah, it it all goes back to why are you doing it? Right? Like what's, why are you doing it? It's so, what's interesting when it comes to like entrepreneurship and retail and putting other people first, because that is like a bad habit of retailers. It's like a bad habit of a really good host, Mm -hmm. you know, a hostess. Can I take your jacket? Do you want something to drink? Are you thirsty? Can I feed you more food? Can I send you home with food? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of the ideas that I've been toying around with is how, how about I take myself and I take another retailer and what we do is akin to comedians in cars getting coffee, but you know, a, <laughs> a, a version where we go and get inspired and we leave our habitual places and spaces and we just walk around and have conversations mm-hmm. and we go in and out of stores and we talk. And I've done it before um, as walking case studies, but I think, wow, what an awesome way for us to remember. We could 
make grooves on the selling floor with where we walk and where we don't walk (laughs) how often we get up that that could be really fun yeah well and and that all counts by the way as physical activity i mean that's the thing like let's just call it what it is like that's the other thing that happens it's people like well that doesn't count why doesn't that count just because you're not like in a gym or something (laughs) right yeah i mean not that we would be shopping but when i shop for the holiday season and, you know, I'm buying presents for my family and friends. I break out in a sweat because oh, yeah. you're wearing heavy clothes and you're carrying a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. that counts. I love it. So I'm going to, you know, I want to be mindful of your time. And I want to ask you as we're kind of wrapping up, the, oh gosh, there's there's so much great stuff here, but just this whole journey that you just shared, you know, what are sort of three things that you have discovered that you kind of can't live without when it comes to self-care? And they could be, some of the habits you've talked about, they could be products, they could be mindsets, places, people, apps, whatever. Wow. Okay. So I think the first thing that I couldn't live without is a calendar because I need a lot of space before and after because I'm managing my energy levels. If I can't control my calendar, I can't control my energy. Mm -hmm. And I use my calendar like religiously. It's my personal assistant. I block time before and after things. I give myself plenty of time to commute. And because I'm planning when I'm level-headed, it tells me what's next. So I love that. Um, The second thing I couldn't live without is uh, Lyft. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Because I have anxiety sometimes, um, I need to not drive in order to manage it. Yeah. Yeah, I hate driving too. I think, yeah. It makes me me so stressed out, especially in Seattle. Right. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be driving for 45 minutes when I have a lot of anxiety and I'm I'm about to give a big presentation. Like, let's not do that. Yeah. Um, And then the third thing is I have a a studio lighting kit that I use for work. And I have found that I've loved the day bounce light it gives off. It actually helps me manage um, my energy and my space in a way where I feel more energized, particularly in Seattle. It's great. And I didn't realize that would be another benefit to having them. I need to hear about that. Yes. (laughs) For sure. You're gonna have to tell me, send me a link to whatever that is and I'll put it in the show notes because I'm curious about what what lighting setup you use. Yeah. And I was using it for videos just to light myself during videos. Um, and I find that even when I'm just working away, I love to turn them on. I love that. I love that. Especially as you said, for people in the Pacific Northwest, as we start to like move into winter. Right. Yeah. I wish these were better, but these are what I need. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Whatever works. Yeah. So where can people learn more about you and your work? So the work me is at merchantmethod.com and there is information about my approach to retail and how I can support retailers. There's a lot of great free resources there too. And on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Merchant Method. Thank you so much, Chris. This was so amazing and there's so much other amazing stuff to get into. We'll have to, we'll have to continue the conversation some other time. I would love it. Thank you so much for having me. I love connecting and chatting with you. Your questions have helped me think through things a little differently. And that's really all I could hope for day to day. So thank you. I'm so glad. 
That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauridolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Yeah.